1: Welcome to Teacher Talking Time, brought to you by Learn Your English. Learn Your English is a company that is changing the way people study, learn, and teach languages. Learn Your English offers students and teachers strategies to effectively develop their abilities and skills in their own time. Bringing you the latest in English language learning and teaching, Teacher Talking Time explores all angles for teachers and students alike. Got a question? Comment? A story to share? send us an email at info at learnyourenglish.com. This is the Teacher Talking Time Podcast.
2: I am optimistic because I think once you are kind of like in the allegory of the cave once you see the light you can't (laughs) like you you either ignore it or you you can't ever close your eyes to it so I think once teachers realize okay they just they name what their oppression is and they say okay this is not okay I'm not going to live my life like this I'm going to do something I think that makes me really hopeful because Teachers can do so much, and they have, like even Ireland, achieved so much working together. And I, I do think that the industry will be fundamentally different and better in 20 years' time.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Teacher Talking Time, the podcast brought to you by Learn Your English. Here at Learn Your English, we are an educational startup emphasizing the importance of continued learning, of course, for students and for teaching professionals. If you're a teacher out there looking for opportunities to learn, develop, wade your way through these seemingly unlimited resources available to you, and you have a question, we'd love to hear from you. info at learnyourenglish.com is the email. Check out our online repertoire of courses as well, lyenetwork.thinkific.com. On today's episode we're very excited to welcome Aileen Bowe to the show. Aileen is a teacher and advocate for fair working conditions, pay, and treatment of teachers in our industry, and she's done a lot of great work that she'll tell us about. She's taught in Hong Kong, Ireland, and in the UK, and has a master's in ESOL in critical pedagogy, referencing asylum seekers and refugee students in Ireland, doing great work with that. She's also helped set up two advocacy groups in the UK and Ireland, one called ELT Advocacy and another Manchester Advocacy. So check them out on Twitter. And I'm really, really pleased that she's been able to join us today for this episode of the podcast. She's written many articles and actually lost quite a few jobs, as you'll hear throughout the episode, due to her outspokenness on the issue. But As we know, it's an important one, so we're glad that she's able to put her voice out there. There have been lots of incidents and lots of events over the course of the last five or six years in Ireland and the UK that have sparked her interest and intrigue in in developing this advocacy group. But the most recent one, at the end of 2018, so not that long ago from when we're filming this or recording this podcast, was the closure of Grafton College in Dublin, where 470 international students were left without classes and many, many teachers All of their teachers actually left without work, without even a moment's notice shortly before Christmas. That college also marked the 22nd English language teaching organization to close since 2014 in Ireland. Obviously a a big, big number, and we're glad to talk about all of this, that incident specifically, but also the bigger picture as well. So we'll be right back with that interview, guys. Please stick around. Thanks again for listening. This is Teacher Talking Time. Howdy, people. This is Ajita, and I'm from India. You're listening to Teacher Talking Time, the Learning Your English podcast. All right, welcome back, and I'd love to welcome to the show Aileen Bo. Aileen, how are you?
2: I'm good, thanks. How are you?
1: Great. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you have a, a really interesting uh, group that you've started, and maybe you just tell us a little bit about it.
2: Uh, yeah, so I actually, I didn't start, I joined the group um, in about 2016 and it had been kind of running since about 2015 and it's called ELT Advocacy and it was set up by um, a teacher in response to the, the college closure crisis, as we call it in Ireland, where a number of schools closed, English language schools closed suddenly overnight mm-hmm. and left students and teachers high and dry and this, it was a lot of, a lot of different things going on in the schools. Um, there was a lot of issues with visas, um, the police and the immigration were involved in some of it. And yeah, it was, um, it was definitely a time of crisis in the English language industry in Ireland.
1: Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, So I guess let's give a little bit of context to the people here. So you're, you're from Ireland, you're now living in Manchester in the UK. So what you're describing is that in, in the UK or is that, was that in Ireland?
2: Yeah so that was in Ireland at the time um, and it happened I actually wasn't even in the country when that was happening I was actually in Hong Kong teaching English at the okay. time um, so yeah there was, there's other teachers um, who are still in ELT advocacy who could definitely talk a lot more about it and would know more about it than I would um, but it was definitely a big big kind of kind of a galvanizing movement I guess um, in the industry and it was a time when teachers kind of Started to realize that the industry just wasn't working for them and it wasn't treating teachers properly. And yeah, I suppose ELT advocacy grew from there.
1: Great. Yeah, I mean, it's a really, really important topic, as we know. And over here in Canada, North America, I think we experience a lot of similar things with working conditions or working hours, jobs coming, jobs going, contract lengths, all these types of things. And we're going to unpack this a little bit as we get going. Um, But let's, you said you were teaching in Hong Kong. So I'd like to start off and give the listeners a little bit of a picture of where our guests come from so what is your teaching life like and how long have you been teaching where have you taught what different experiences do you have
2: yeah so um in my my first primary degree my bachelor's degree i did english and french and i got to the end of the degree and thought oh my god what am i going to do next (laughs) i'm not qualified for anything
3: so (laughs) uh
2: with my partner we decided to go to hong kong of course and we taught english there for a year Beautiful. and Yeah, it was a really, really lovely place. Um, I found that the conditions outside of England, Ireland, in my experience, the teaching conditions are usually a little bit better and you're kind of treated a little bit better. Um, and that was definitely the case in Hong Kong. We worked in a lovely school. Um, the atmosphere was really nice. The pay was good. Um, it was a great job. So I did that for a year. Um, I came back and I decided I wanted to get my proper teaching certification. So I did my CELT, which is the Irish equivalent of a CELTA. Mm -hmm. So I did that in Ireland. Then I started to look for work in Ireland. And this was just around the time of 2014-2015 after the college closure crisis. So it was a really, really bad time to be looking for teaching work. Um, But I tried anyway, and I started in a couple of schools and it was kind of short-term work substitute work maybe two hours here or four hours there and i did that for about a year or so and it it was probably as you know there's a lot of work in the summer and not mm. so much work the rest of the year right so um yeah i kind of i worked in about i think eight different schools in ireland
3: oh wow um,
2: yeah that's okay um, yeah, there are varying degrees of awfulness um, and they actually kind of got worse and worse as the time went on. Um, so in the middle of that, I decided to do a master's degree in teaching English.
1: mm mm-hmm. Okay, great.
2: <laughs> Which if you can't get full-time work, you know, you probably maybe should think of getting out of the industry and not doing a further qualification, but <laughs> that, <laughs> that was the route I took. So, well, we um, all make
1: different decisions, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. So I really, I really, really enjoyed the master's um, did it the University of Limerick. It was a great course.
1: Mm-hmm. What did you do the master's in? What was your focus?
2: Uh, so yeah, my focus was on, um, sort of my thesis, it was on critical pedagogy.
3: All right.
2: Um, I wanted to look at um, specifically ESOL, which was quite, I think, under-researched area of ELT. And I looked at the ESOL classes of asylum seeker and refugee students in Ireland and how critical pedagogical approaches could be used in those um, classroom settings. Oh, wow. And yeah, it was um, a really great project. Um, really enjoyed doing it, and I kind of learned a lot about that area.
1: Well, that's not the focus of today, but I'm very interested in that. Maybe you can send us a link afterwards, and we can send that out, because that's a really interesting topic.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it, was, it was It was really eye-opening, and yeah, I feel kind of very strongly that there should be maybe more of a focus on um, the ESOL area of ELT, which is maybe I'd say neglected because it's, I guess, maybe not as profitable as the private English language teaching industry, but it's so important for people who maybe come from a, like that refugee or asylum seeker context. And, you know, the it, a lot of the time the classes are, while they're well-meaning, it's just kind of conversational English. So people, mm-hmm. maybe sometimes older people, just... Spend a couple of hours talking and maybe teaching from um, some sort of book, in-house book, but maybe it's not, you know, pedagogically the right way to go about this approach. But
1: oh, yeah. I'm right. I'm right with you on that one. We talk a lot here on this podcast and with Learn Your English about you know using textbooks and not using textbooks and advantages and and getting out of the book and you know using dogma or using your own materials and just teaching this, the learners in your class and not focusing on the material as much. Right? I think mean, that's mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. exactly what you're saying.
3: Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. Um, and as well as just the language itself, there's the other considerations um, that a person from that kind of a background might have in the classroom. And <clears throat> excuse me, it was my kind of experience that a lot of teachers just weren't trained in how to work with students from that background. And a lot of maybe incidents could have happened and teachers didn't feel confident in knowing how to deal with the student with maybe those issues, you know, that are not maybe typical mainstream ELT student issues.
1: Mm -hmm. And that kind of, you know, gets into one of the topics, you know, the big question that we're looking at today with, uh, you know, poor working, you mentioned already poor working conditions in in Ireland, in the UK. Um, I'm going to ask you first, what, you know, just to paint us a little bit of a picture. So what you know, if you were talking about poor working conditions, what does that mean? What, you know, if you can give us some some specifics and then I'll ask you about if, you know, you're talking about the training of teachers, the lack of training of teachers and kind of how that kind of kind of breeds into it. But when you talk about poor working conditions, uh, can you give us some specific examples?
2: Yeah, sure. So things like, you know, having to buy your own resources for the classroom. I've had that in a lot of schools Mm. where you wouldn't have a marker or a board wipe or, you would have to bring in your own materials to use to photocopy. Um, almost every staff room I've been in has been under-resourced. So you could have maybe two really old computers for 50 teaching staff. You could have maybe one printer for 60 teachers. And that absolutely necessitates you having to come in an hour early to print off your materials, which, mm-hmm. of course, you're not paid for anyway. So things like that. Um, the rooms themselves, the classrooms themselves, they can be just too small they can be you know not fit for purpose so I, i've worked in hotel rooms in conference rooms in hotels i worked in a, a kind of like any kind of building in dublin really in the summer is repurposed mm-hmm. for english language class because yeah. of their capacity is.
1: <laughs> i mean we're, we're laughing uh but it's i mean it's not funny but i think anyone who's been in the industry for more than you know five or six years has a story of teaching in a boardroom somewhere or you know a broom closet or something because you're right in 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 canada it's the same the language schools private language schools get over capacity in the summer months those are the big months for them and they rent space wherever they can find it and sometimes it's in the boardroom and sometimes it's in you know this place or that place and and you kind of have to make do with it as a teacher but you're right it's it's not ideal for sure
2: one of the worst places possibly was um it was a music shop um, in Dublin
1: oh. that it
2: had some um, classrooms but you know the classrooms are really old absolutely not fit for purpose tiny windows really high up just awful and then in one place one of these this in this building my desk was a piano okay <laughs> and I had to you know put my materials on this piano while the students were kind of looking at me going where are we what have we paid for and I was looking What am I doing here? I don't understand.
1: (laughs) Well, that's it, too. The other side, I mean, we're obviously talking from the teacher perspective here, but from the student perspective, you know, teaching in a, in this case, a music room or a boardroom or anything that's not a classroom doesn't give off the best first impression. And I, I, I worked at a school here once where, you know, in the summer months and to be, I mean, to be a little bit fair to the schools, I mean, yes, it's great. They're having lots of business and lots of students coming, but they were asking us to help sell, quote unquote, sell the idea of having a class in this other location. To the students yeah, in the class, um, to you know, m- minimize the quote unquote damage or whatever of having to be elsewhere. But you know, that's really not 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 ideal for anybody in those situations. And teaching on a piano doesn't sound great either, unless you play the piano. That doesn't sound great.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, that's been my experience too. So the the director of studies or the assistant director of studies or the academic manager will say, you know, guys, we're all in this together. You know, don't be letting the school down. Just you know don't talk about how bad it is, don't, because, you know, at the end of the day, the students come back year after year. So if it really was a huge issue, you know, they wouldn't keep doing it. But they know that students, a lot of the times they're going to be teenagers on short-term courses. True. And they know that money is going to be there year after year and they don't really care. And yeah, that's just been my experience everywhere.
1: Yeah. And same with me, basically. And do you think this is more of a symptom of the industry itself? I mean, we, there's a, term that we kind of use over here a little bit called edutainment, uh, mm-hmm. in, in private language sectors in the schools, because a lot of, you know, it's it can be very seasonal work in terms of when the students are coming. It's in, in our cases in the summer. And mm-hmm. a lot of times they're coming for a quote unquote you know, a bigger experience, so to speak. Not just to learn, but to experience a new culture, a new country, a new city, meet some friends and in some cases the classroom is secondary to the rest of their trip so does that you have any experience as well
2: yeah um yeah i guess I've, got, I've kind of i've had adult students who maybe were year-round students and then teenagers and they're absolutely yeah, two different groups and they they kind of are very their focus and their motivation is very different so teenagers don't really mind if they're in a classroom for Four hours in the morning because they're focused on the activity in the evening or something but mm-hmm. if you have students who have signed up to a six-month course and they're studying IELTS and they're cramped in this horrible room for six months every single day for three to four hours a day it, you know it does kind of wear on them it does great on them a little bit and you do feel like it's not it is not what they should be paying for they should be treated better
1: Right, right. And then back from the teaching perspective, and of course, you you felt very strongly that these conditions for teachers were unacceptable. And reading a lot of your articles and and you've been published or have been talked about quite a lot in the news um, and basically saying or helping to or or the cause of this was because it was unregulated. And so you've made some positive gains or or you and ELT advocacy have made some positive gains in the UK and in Ireland in terms of helping to regulate the ELT industry. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, we have. So uh, this is not, I would say, solely from ELT Advocacy. So when kind of ELT Advocacy was in its infancy, teachers realized that the best way to go about achieving better working conditions in the industry was through unions. So they approached um, some unions in Ireland and Unite um, was the union that kind of we went with and they took on our case and we set up a branch in 2016, in March 2016. And it was, I think, the first of its kind in Ireland, um, Mm -hmm. possibly the UK, um, for a union branch of English language teachers. Um, Because up to that point, like I think it's even the case now that a lot of the general public don't really know what English language teaching entails, what it involves who the mm-hmm. teachers are, who the students are, a lot of it is very like, it's kind of invisible. So really, as a group ELT Advocacy, we're just led by teachers, we're a voluntary group. But when it comes to things like working conditions and bargaining um, with employers, it has to be through the unions, And that has always been our, and always will be our, our kind of approach to how we can improve things. And so Unite have done amazing work in the last um, two, three years um, in trying to regulate the industry. And there was a piece of legislation um, that was going through the Irish Parliament in December. And it was so the Quality and Qualifications Act for higher education in Ireland. And Unite lobbied for a long time to put additional teacher protections into the bill. And of course, the government and other people argued that, you know, there's existing employment legislation there, we shouldn't need these additional amendments. Um, but fortunately, fortunately, the amendment passed the first house of Parliament in Ireland. So we're kind of waiting to see the second stage mm-hmm. coming. That's- but that was it. Yeah, it was huge. Um, it, it's such a, it's such a great achievement that, you know, kind of the government is kind of recognizing, you know, this is an area that's really really gone under the radar for years and just that something needs to be done about it so we're, we're kind of still you know in the early stages I mean I'd love to look back I'd love to know what will happen in 20 years from now where we will be but mm-hmm. so far it's it's all been going like quite well you know
1: great I mean that's fantastic and, and you're right and I think you know, listening to your story and listening or thinking about my experience here and lots of other people's experience around the world you hit, you hit on the nail on the head here with saying that the industry is very unregulated and it's kind of gone, you know, under the radar and kind of invisible. It's indivisible industry around the world, even though the English language is, you know, the lingua franca of the world and there's lots, it's big business for lots of schools in almost every country. But in terms of conditions, student side, teacher side, materials, pay, all these things, it is quite unregulated and it's kind of backwards or ironic, I should say, that it doesn't have all these regulations, but it's been great that you've you know been able to tell your story and have started to see some progress, at least uh, in the UK and in Ireland. So congratulations on that.
2: Yeah, I think it, it's, it is good. And I feel like it has always worked to the benefit of the employers and the language schools that it's so invisible because, you know, they, nobody who is making massive profits from this industry wants people to realize what's going on or what the daily conditions of a teacher are like. So the more noise that's made about it and the more people start kind of standing up and saying, no, this is not okay, this is not right, I don't deserve to be treated like this, then that's um, a massive, even, you know, people just talking about it is something that, you know, maybe wouldn't have happened a couple of years ago because Mm -hmm. I think especially from my experience, people are more open talking about it in Ireland because the movement has been there for a while. Whereas in the UK, I think it's, I think there's a lot more work that needs to be done. There are some groups that are are starting to work already here, but I think the UK has, I think, further to go than Ireland does right now because some teachers just aren't even like realizing that anything could be done about it, that things could change. They don't have that kind of concept. I I suppose as as well with the, the college closure crisis, that's again, I'd say what brought the idea of working conditions to the fore, and that's why so many teachers maybe got involved at the time, and that's where we are now. Mm-hmm. But I think that ha- that kind of event hasn't happened here, so maybe that's w- one of the reasons why maybe the UK is a little bit behind.
1: Okay, yeah, and, we, and we're not talking about crazy things here, right? We're talking about you know hours of work, sick paid sick days, time off, you know, contracts for more than a few weeks or months at a time. I mean, these are not crazy ideas these are ideas that exist in almost any other industry so why should teaching be any different i think that's that's the big question isn't it
2: absolutely so one of the things i I helped set up a group called um elt manchester which is like a sister group for elt advocacy Mm -hmm. and one of the things i wanted to do was to be able to say with certainty what teaching and working conditions are like in the uk so i set up a survey and i asked i don't have any kind of overhead for it so i could only get the free plan so i only had 10 questions on my survey monkey account okay so i asked different questions like how many years teaching experience do you have um are you part-time employed uh, full-time employed i asked about how many hours a week do you spend on out of classroom work mm-hmm. are you paid for these hours average wage hourly wage annual wage pay scales employment benefits and I asked if people would like to continue working as an English language teacher in the UK. Um, and as of the, today, I have a hundred replies, so I'm really happy with that. Oh, so awesome. I'm, yeah, so I'm going to spend time writing a report on that and hopefully be able to publish it so that teachers can see this is the reality of the situation. And you know, this is how much hours teachers are spending every week um, on preparing work. And I can tell you, the majority of teachers are not paid for this
1: work. Right. I, I would have guessed the same. that would be the answer. Uh, yeah. I've seen the survey, you've circulated the survey on Twitter, and I've seen yeah. that out there. And it's just for UK teachers at the moment, right? Are you planning to yeah. do one for teachers? I'd be happy to circulate one on this side to see if a Canadian teacher and North American teachers, if you're interested. I would guess the answers would be probably very similar, because I think the industry is pretty similar around around the world but uh, if you're interested we could c- circulate one over here as well
2: yeah absolutely like i any any group or any kind of organization or any just one person who wants to do something i would absolutely recommend them to set up their own local group because you know you know your own local context better i mean mm-hmm. i wouldn't know anything really about the canadian context but any any group that should they should set it up and i can happily send on the questions and in comparing those questions um, Would be great because uh, ELT advocacy did one in Ireland 2016, and it will be like I will be comparing those results between then and now and the two different countries. The more data that we have as teachers, um, I think the better and more empowered that we are to make decisions because you know, if a if school is saying, Oh, this is the average rate, and you know, this is why you're not getting paid work, you paid for your prep work well, we have this data here and we can show you know, teachers are spending this much hours. It is nonsensical slash illegal that you are not paying them for this work. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. So I think any teacher, I mean, all I did was write 10 questions and distribute it on Twitter and Facebook groups. Um, it's, it's not an, a crazy hard thing to do. So I think anybody who's interested in like kind of improving their their own little corner of the world should
1: definitely just Let's do it. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back.
0: You know, quality professional development is such an important part of the teaching industry, but it's surprisingly hard to come by. That's why I was so pleased to come across Learn Your English, a company providing online teacher education courses with a fresh perspective. My name is Erin, and I'm an English language teacher. After a decade in the classroom, I found myself teaching the same things in the same way. My learning seemed to have plateaued. I wanted to take charge of my learning, and I really like how the online Learn Your English courses don't prescribe anything. They motivate me to reflect on my teaching and propose tactics and ideas I hadn't considered. If you're a language teacher wanting to learn inside your busy schedule, I highly recommend their online courses on Thinkific. Head on over to lyenetwork.thinkific.com. That's lyenetwork.thinkific.com. Take control of your education. You won't regret it. Hi guys, my name is Ethan from Korea. You are listening to Teacher Talking Time and the
1: Learn Your English podcast. Teaching, it's a really funny industry. My, my, my brother jokes with me all the time because he says, oh, you only work from, you know, nine until one o'clock or something. And oh, yeah, it's a great life. And I, I mean, he, he's joking and he knows that a lot of the teaching, you know, teaching when you're on in class is very exhausting. And, and there's a lot of work outside of the cl- actual classroom as well. Prep time, marking. And I teach mm-hmm. in an EAP context, so ac- English for academic purposes. So lots of grading, meetings, all these types of things. But whereas he's joking, I think a lot of people... Uh, don't actually know how much goes into teaching and not to get on our porch here and talk and cry for teachers because, you know, we love what we do. Um, but there is a lot of work outside of the classroom and there's a lot of work in the classroom when you have to be on, mentally on all the time. So it, it, it is tiring. And these, yeah. this is this is what we've signed up for. We're not, you know, we, do, we, we know these going into it, but I think it's it's fair to be compensated or, or, or recognized for those efforts uh, that we put in because we love the job so much.
2: Absolutely. Um, so, when I was one of the schools I worked in in Dublin, um, I, I'm from kind of the countryside in Ireland. It's I live about my, my daily commute was two hours each way.
1: Oh, when wow. I was working in Dublin,
2: yeah. So, I mean, I was getting up at half five, driving 30 minutes to the train station, going, getting a, a, an hour, I think, to Dublin. Then I had to get the, the tram and then a walk in 10 minutes. So, it was two hours each way every single day. Um, I did that for six months. Ooh. and
1: You must like have eight. read a lot of books.
2: <laughs> no, I was actually like, so on the train in the morning or in the evening, what I did was doing was planning classes for the next day,
3: mm-hmm.
2: preparing what I was going to print off because I had to get in early because there wasn't enough time to get to the printer. Um, I had to write, tests, correct tests, correct homework, provide really in-depth feedback, especially for IELTS classes, kind of research ideas for lessons had to write end-of-course reports, had to give feedback, put resources on the learning management system. And, you know, in a, in schools, I was either paid something insultingly low, like 15 euro per week, or just nothing at all for that work.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: when I look back now, I think, I mean, it's insane. You know, the work that you do, and they just, it's none of it is recognised, none of it is appreciated. I was the centre manager where I was working in that school, came around to us on one Friday and said, oh, by the way, guys, the the main office would like to thank you for your hard work, and uh, do, but um, there's no work after next week, but do come back to us in February, and this is in mid-August. What? Yeah, and we were just absolutely shocked, and this was, in the, this was our 11 o'clock break, when we had to go back and teach the students, and we were just absolutely shocked.
1: On the break they said that?
2: Yeah. Yeah. To my me, God. she got it on the break, and to other teachers, she walked into the classroom and told them in the middle of the classroom. And she couldn't understand why we were so upset by this, because you're always. My experience has always been that the schools kind of lead you on, and they promise you kind of they hold the promise of extra work, of year-round work over your head. For some people, it's fine. They just want it for a couple of months, but other teachers, they want it year-round. And this school was quite a big school, and you know, it was quite a good possibility, of, you know getting year-round work because there's always a good turnover but I can to this day I can never understand what their process is for choosing teachers how do they choose some teachers to keep on how do they let other teachers go I just don't understand it and at that point I had a master's and I <laughs> went to the director of studies and I said you know I have a master's in teaching English you know and it doesn't matter I just lost that job
1: wow yeah that's I mean yeah, and that goes back to the, the conversation about, about this, you know, the industry being, is it a seasonal job or is it not a seasonal job? And there are, in defense of, not, not in defense of the school per se, but in terms of the industry, there's a lot of teachers that do it kind of as a as we say on a hobby basis, right? That people will move abroad for one year uh, just to live somewhere else. They'll do some teaching, go back to, their, to where they're from and, and, and do something else and go back to being an accountant or whatever it is that they do. Um, but yes. teachers that do it as a career, you know, you you and I and, and many others kind of sometimes get lost in the shuffle because of the people who, not because of, but maybe the industry is so segmented because there's people who do it as a hobby, people who do it as a career, students come and go. So it's, it's really quite difficult, isn't it?
2: I feel like that's kind of, I'm not sure what you would call that, but that's one of the things that um, schools often use against you. Um, they say, oh, you know, our, our wages are low because it's just kind of, there's no you know, teachers don't want to stay, it's not a career for them, it's just a short-term job. But I don't think that's true, because the survey that we did with ELT Advocacy in 2016 showed that something like 60% of teachers had worked in the industry for 12 years plus. Mm. And the, the very first question that I asked in my survey with ELT Manchester uh, was, how many years English language teaching experience do you have? And I'm just looking at it now, and the two biggest categories the whole way to the survey were between six and eight years which is currently at 21%, and 20-plus years, which is at also 20%. Wow. So this idea that it's just temporary is, I think, it's not true. And schools use that to kind of justify not treating it like a career and not having pay skills or proper salaries or any sort of benefits or any sort of decent treatment because people would happily work in this industry, I think, for a long, long time, if they were treated properly but i actually am leaving the English teaching industry, and i think many others are as well because it's not sustainable and i'm just really 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 tired of being treated badly so i think you know yeah the idea that teachers are running in it for short term is something that we need to get rid of because the data does not show that
1: great no fantastic and that's that's i agree with that wholeheartedly uh, and that's why we do data. That's why we do surveys. So we can have these statistics to, sh- to show to people, right? Because otherwise mm-hmm. we can just say, you can make stuff up and say stuff. And, and in this case, it does, turns out not to be true, at least in the UK context. Mm-hmm. Um, the big thing that started all of this, of course, or maybe not started, but the big incident that we're referring to is the Grafton College closure, closure right? Which was in 2018, yeah. the end of 2018. Um, and I believe there was 30 teachers that were I suppose fired is not the word, but laid off or just left without work uh, right before Christmas. And that's, I hope I'm telling the story correctly.
3: Yeah, 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 that's correct, yeah.
1: And I I think that that's a a, a famed incident, but one that might not be isolated and schools come and go. And in Canada, we've seen schools close uh, either permanently or we've seen schools close, you know, for a short period of time. We've seen schools that were or the, the teachers were looking to unionize and the schools have you know let them go or the school has closed until the movement kind of went away and then rehired people who didn't want to be part of the union uh the word union can be uh, a polarizing word uh what mm-hmm. what response have you seen in the uk uh from teachers and even i guess from schools in terms of wanting to unionize or willing to be part of of your not the advocacy group but of union specifically
2: mm, i guess I suppose unions, I guess, and that kind of thing, it wasn't something that I had ever really considered myself until actually that day when the centre manager came around and told us that we had no more work. And a colleague of mine, in literal whispers, told me about the group ELT Advocacy and told me I should get involved with them. Mm -hmm. And she mentioned that there was something to do with unions and I remember hearing about it and thinking, oh my God, this is what I've been waiting for. And <laughs> just the idea that other teachers were in the same situation as me. And it wasn't because I, at this stage, I had been trying for I think four years to get a full time job in a school and be treated decently. And I just couldn't do it for whatever reason. I just kept let, being let go or just kind of being kept on these horrible short term non-contract jobs and the idea that other teachers were doing something about it and it wasn't just me. That was, I mean, genuinely life-changing moment at that point because I thought, okay, there is something that can be done. I don't just have to put up with it. So that was where I first kind of realized that something could be done. And I hadn't really considered much or thought much about unions up to that point in my life. And I think that's probably something that maybe is true for a lot of people my age, um, that maybe unions were a lot bigger, maybe more influential my parents' age, but Mm -hmm. definitely now there's a decrease in union membership. And since I've gotten involved with Unite and also the IWW, I've been thinking and wondering why it is that young people maybe aren't in unions as much as they should be. Um, I guess it's, especially with English language teaching, it's kind of, it's a gig economy kind of job. And, you know, it's it's very hard for kind of organize that industry because they're so far apart. There might be a school here with five teachers, a school there, with 20 teachers, a school here with three teachers.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That could be one of the reasons. And I mean, I think the traditional unions are, you know, also they would have worked in maybe traditional industries where, you have a a job, that's kind of your job or your career for life. And, you know, it's quite easy to organize those sectors. And maybe unions haven't, you know, been as quick to adapt to the new awful, awful gig economy kind of in climate that we're in now. So that's maybe something that people, maybe they're not aware of, that a union could work for them. Maybe they think it's, oh, you know, it's just something that, maybe public sector teachers do or, or like train drivers um, mm-hmm. are in unions, Th- those kind of traditional industries. And I think the a lot of the unions, including Unite, are doing a lot of work to change that and to reach out to those workers who absolutely need to be more than maybe any possible industry. They need to be in unions. These people who are on precarious contracts and precarious work, zero-hour contracts. Um, so, yeah, I think people are you know, it's maybe a a really, really big new shift in the mindset that is needed for people to kind of see unions can work for them.
1: Right. You make an interesting point there with the unions changing or lack of change to fit the times. And and you're right. I think we live in an era now. We definitely live in an era now where people don't have you know, you may have your career, but you're going to have a a number of different jobs within that different schools, even different countries. Whereas in older you know generations, that wasn't possible, or it just wasn't done. So mm-hmm. now you know in terms of a traditional union or an old school union, as you say, yeah, a union that you have that you're in with this school and that's it, and you work there for your twenty or thirty years, and you retire and and that's it. But that's not the way the world works anymore. But why can't unions? Adapt, or why haven't unions adapt or adapted to an extent where it can still help, and you can still be in it, but you're not shackled or or, or meant to be in one school for the entire time. Um, mm-hmm. You're right; that's that's a very good point. With that said, there are some. I maybe you can help us uh, debunk some of these criticisms. But there are, you know, unions again are is a polarizing topic, and there's again you mentioned the public sector, and I think public sector teaching the unions get a lot of flack, and it's it's very public mostly probably because it comes from tax money and etc but lots of criticisms of unions out there maybe you can help us talk about them a little bit
2: um so yeah i don't know for me i can only say about my own experience but i wouldn't say from what i've come across i wouldn't say that people are maybe critical of unions maybe it's a generational thing maybe mm. we just don't really know enough about it but i think people especially in the elt industry are more afraid of so they, they hear this word union and I think that they don't really know enough to know what that entails. You know, people might think, what oh, does that mean if I join a union, I have to go on a strike straight away or something <laughs> like this. And of course, that's absolutely not the case. Um, but I think there needs to be kind of more representation of like what unions do and just the, the work that goes into it and the actual. From getting involved in something, how empowered you can become, and how how much stronger and kind of resolute you can become if you kind of get involved in something like that. So I just you know the fight for fifteen movement in the U.S.
3: Yes, yes, of course.
2: I think that's that's an amazing. And I listened to briefly on a podcast. Um, one of the organizers or the social media manager was saying how they were using social media and kind of technology to contact people or to get people involved in the the fight for 15 movement so that the minimum wage is raised to $15 and something like that i think shows the power of people and you know union doesn't have to be this big i don't know really know what it means word it's just people working together to get better working conditions and mm-hmm. that kind of model i think i really i think it's amazing and what they've done has been amazing and that kind of model of what a union is i think needs people need to see more about it or read more about it maybe and make a union kind of more accessible to people this is what it can do for me
1: right yeah power in numbers again we've the, the fight for 15 is a great example we've seen power in numbers work for lots of groups around the world and i think you again really good point teachers working together not necessarily in the traditional union way or format but just yeah working together fighting for you know what we believe is right and not necessarily signing up for the next 30 years of our life to be part of this union group and perhaps the word union itself will become antiquated there'll be another term that will be used because traditionally speaking you know people criticize unions because they say that it protects lazy or bad employees in whatever industry in this case teaching so protecting lazy and bad teachers or it it doesn't allow teachers to be held accountable, which in some cases may, may be true. But if we're talking about teachers working together and not signing up for a formal uh, long-term union, then maybe those those criticisms can go away.
2: My perspective on it has always been that I've heard that criticism. And my perspective on it is that the English language teaching industry is so far removed from the public sector Um, industry as sorry the public sector teaching um, you know with with the issues that are in it there I mean being unpaid for the work that you do um, not having a basic contract not having sick days not getting holiday pay um, being let go because the manager suddenly doesn't like you being just in a constant state of precariousness all of that is just so far removed from the far end of the scale where oh yeah like that what you just said oh it protects the lady teachers it's it, it you might as well be starting from kind of an absolute kind of blank slate when it comes to ELT because those kind of issues maybe I would say only appear maybe when teachers are in a really really good situation and they're paid properly but definitely definitely just does not come into play with ELT because teachers really don't have any rights and they put up with abusive treatment every single day so I think when teachers realize what unions can do for them you know I think it won't be kind of I don't know what this union thing is about um, it would be just be I see what the union can do for me I'm gonna get involved
1: well put. And maybe we're on the the precipice of a, a modern union and one that doesn't look like what it used to look like in the past. Uh, I'll let you go almost here, almost finished. One more question for you. Um, and you said that you're leaving the teaching industry, which is sad to hear. But So this question maybe is a bigger question. But are you optimistic about the future landscape for ELT in the UK and in Ireland? Or are you more on the pessimistic side? And, and what do you think something like um, Brexit if it actually goes through if it doesn't go through what implications could that have on, on all that we're talking about here
2: um, so just about the future of the industry I am optimistic because I think once you are kind of like in the allegory of the cave once you see the light you can't <laughs> like you, you either ignore it or you, you can't ever close your eyes to it so I think once teachers realise okay they just, they name what their oppression is and they say, okay, this is not okay. I'm not going to live my life like this. I'm going to do something. I think that makes me really hopeful because teachers can do so much and they have, like even in Ireland, achieved so much working together. And I, I do think that the industry will be fundamentally different and better in 20 years' time. I definitely, even though I'm leaving teaching, I definitely want to remain a part of it because you know maybe i'll come back to it you know in 20 years time but teachers have to understand that this work has to be done by them so different things like if you go if there's a meeting on and you know you're asked to come to the meeting or you know you want to set up your own meeting things like an hour or two out of your evening talking to other teachers talking about different actions working with a union organizer all of that work like is done by you and it won't be done by anybody else. Your boss is not going to do it. Your EDOS is not going to do it. You have to do it. And that can kind of scare people. But I mean, if you look long term, you need to have the long term vision of I want to improve this industry for myself and for future teachers. So if teachers just accept that they put in the work and hopefully it will get better, you know, it will. It just will get better. So I am optimistic about it, even though I am leaving.
1: Great to hear. Yeah, well said. I think that's, that's it right You know, in, in any industry and in anything in life that we want to do, we have to put in the work. And that's how we can hold ourselves to be accountable because unions or any advocacy group doesn't just form out of anywhere. We have to put in the work. If we want something, we have to go get it and not just showing up, you know, for one meeting, but the next one and the next one and being committed to the cause. And then we can see positive results. Um, yeah. do you have a, th- yeah? I, I don't know if Brexit has anything to do with this, but do you, do you feel like it would affect this in any way or it probably is, is completely unrelated?
2: Um, just my own personal opinion on it is that I think it will like be really catastrophic for the UK and probably the Irish economy as well. And um, it's really hard to know what will happen, um i think i read a report in the guardian about international students after they have studied in the uk contribute billions to the economy mm-hmm. but the the government's making it harder and harder for them to stay here and to live here and you know it it doesn't seem it's linked to this you know anti-immigration sentiment i guess correct but i i don't i don't my own hope is just that there will be another referendum it will pass the uk will stay in the eu um, despite the fact that I think I read that every household in the UK is fifteen hundred pounds less well off since the referendum mm. was held, I mean obviously there's been damage, like a lot of damage to the country's reputation. It, I, I really don't know. I, I've had I have heard um, some language school owners say that they think it would be good in the long term. I guess everyone has their own take on it. Um, for me, it's just a waste of time incredibly incredibly vacuous
1: yeah well it's definitely being drawn out there's no no argument with that uh when the ref the first referendum happened a few years ago my dad went on the record and he said you know i i bet you it's not gonna happen everyone thought he was crazy and now he's looking maybe like he was right the whole time but who knows that's the answer and we don't know exactly what's going to happen until it happens and with the elt market again we're not really sure I can speak from our perspective. In in Canada, we've seen an an upshot of, and all this has to do, I think, more with students, student numbers than with the teachers, but uh, an increase in student numbers here with the political situation in the US and students Mm -hmm. coming more so to Canada rather than going there. I mean, cost is involved. Canada is a cheaper option than the US is with the currency and everything. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think we've taken some students maybe from the UK as well, Mm-hmm. Uh, who prefer to, you know, to come here with with whatever is going on? So um, I think I think it indirectly affects student numbers for sure. But hopefully the market corrects itself and and students continue to come because that's that is that is the industry. Without the students, we don't have anything.
2: Yeah, it's true. And also governments are always going to take advantage of a crisis, and they will you know use it as an excuse to lower working conditions and to make people put up with a lot worse than what they should. So. Whatever happens, it doesn't really matter. Teachers need to organize, they need to get into a union and they need to stand up for their working rights because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. That's the only really thing that you, that you can do, I think.
1: Control what you can control. I like yeah. it. Uh, all right, so let's oh, we'll leave it there. Where can people find you, get in touch with you if they want to help you know, join the movement or, or just shoot you a message?
2: Um, yeah, so we're on, so the advocacy is on Twitter and Facebook as ELT Advocacy. Um, ELT Manchester is on also Facebook and Twitter. And the email address for us is ELT Manchester at protonmail.com
1: as well. All right, beautiful. Alien Bro, thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you.
0: been listening to Teacher Talking Time, brought to you by Learn Your English. Ready to take control of your education? You're in the right place. Teaching, professional development, learning. Expand your world with Learn Your English.